the GVA Legal Podcast. My name is Jean Kambuni, and I am your host. September 28th was the International Day for Universal Access to Information. Private institutions collect information about individuals. Governments hold information in trust on behalf of its citizens. It follows, therefore, that citizens should have the right to access the information held by the state or any other body as long as it concerns them and their well-being. That is why Article 35 of the Constitution guarantees all Kenyan citizens the right to access any information held by the state or by any person required for the exercise or protection of any right or fundamental freedom. On today's episode, we will talk about the right to information and the legal framework on information access. Our guest is Viola Ochola, the Director, Access to Information at the Commission on Administrative Justice. Welcome, Viola. Thank you very much, Jean. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Let's go straight into this right to access information. What is the right of access to information and why is it important? The right of access to information is one that is enshrined in our constitution under Article 35 and which provides that each citizen has a right to access information held by the state and information held by any other person for the exercise of their right or fundamental freedom. This also means that uh, there are some uh, there are three key elements that are involved in this right. The first one is that each citizen has a right to access information from the state or a private entity. The second element is that there is a right to correction or deletion of any untrue or misleading statement that is in the custody of either the state or by any other private entity. This means that if there's any information in any state institution that may be misleading and which is affecting your right, you have a right to write to that institution and request them to correct that uh, misleading information. The third element of this um, right is that it imposes a mandatory duty on the state to publish and publicize any information affecting the citizens of the country. So if I should recap what you just said, the right to information has three elements. Mm -hmm. First is the right of request. Mm -hmm. So if I'm an individual and I, I'm aware that a certain institution has information about me, let's mm -hmm. say, for example, the Department of Immigration keeps mm -hmm. information about our citizenship, our birth details, where we were mm -hmm. born, and our parents. So mm -hmm. for instance, let's say that the information on where I was born is mm -hmm. wrong. Maybe I was born in Nairobi Hospital and mm -hmm. it says that I was born in Nyeri, for instance. Mm -hmm. I have the right to request for that information first to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is that I have a right of deletion mm -hmm. and change of any misleading information. Yes. So yes, I was born in the Republic of Kenya, mm -hmm. but not in Nyeri. I was born in Nairobi Hospital. Mm -hmm. So I have the right to request for that information to be changed in, for instance, my birth certificate mm -hmm. and for the correct information to be put in. Mm -hmm. And then the third is that the state has a mandatory requirement to do that change and to give me that information that I have requested. Yes, not only to give you that information, but to publish proactively and publicize information affecting you as a citizen. So there are certain categories of information that do not need to be requested for. The state needs to periodically give you that kind of information. So mm -hmm. this is what Article 35 talks about. In addition to proactively providing this information, they need to also to give this information reactively and to freely. the citizens. Yes, and freely. What is the history of the right of access to information? And are there any international legal frameworks that govern the right? Uh, yes, access to information was first passed uh, some time back. The first country that passed this law was Sweden in 1766. And 
since then it was put in the Universal Declaration of, on Human Rights in 1948, which we know is a milestone document on uh, human rights issues under Article 19. And what was uh, indicated therein is that uh, every person has the right to seek, receive, and impart information through any media, regardless of any frontiers. So this was the original international legal instrument that spearheaded the spread, so to speak, of access to information across the world. After that, several other regional instruments have since picked the access to information right and included it in the instrument. For example, the International Convention on Civil and Political Rights in 1976. In Article 19, the United Nations Conventions Against Corruption, the African Charter on Human and People's Rights, and Article 9. Currently, there are over 135 countries the world over that have passed the Access to Information Law. In Africa, I think we have more than 20 countries that have passed the Africa Access to Information Act. So it's a movement, so to speak, that is spreading across the world because. Uh, there's a realization that the more open the governments are with the information, the more trust the citizens have for the government, the more the citizens can use this right to facilitate their other rights, like their right to health, their right to water, their right to education, and the more that these citizens can actually be involved in the policy and decision-making processes in government. And this makes governing for many governments easier. as opposed to keeping fighting with the citizens. What is the legal framework that governs access to information in Kenya? Aside from the constitution, we've spoken about the constitution, the constitution is the highest law of the land yes. and it mm-hmm. does protect the right under Article 35. But mm-hmm. what other um, legislative pieces mm-hmm. are there that govern this right? Thank you. The main um, legislative instrument or act that we have that uh, governs access to information is the Access to Information Act, and this was passed in 2016. This was mainly to operationalize Article 35 of the Constitution. And uh, the key purpose of the act, aside from operationalizing the act itself, was that it gives a framework for public education on access to information. It gives a framework for proactive disclosure of information by public entities and specific private entities. It also gives a, a framework for protection of persons who uh, give out information in uh, public interest or whistleblowers, as they are commonly called. And also this is the act that also gave the Commission on Administrative Justice the oversight and the enforcement powers of the, over this right. So that is the main um, a piece of legislation that governs access to information act however there are other acts that also deal with a touch on access to information one of them is the county government act aside from uh, governing the counties and uh, the issues around the devolved units it specifically provides that each county should have an access to information act and uh, that means a county specific access to information act and to this end the commission has actually come up with a model law on access to information which the counties are currently using to domesticate the national access to information act into their counties so the county government act is one of them as i said the second act is the public finance and management act it provides that the parliamentary budget office should ensure that all reports and any other uh, documents that concern the budgeting process should be published and publicized by the relevant institutions it also provides that there should be public participation on the budgeting process you know there can't be public participation without um 
informed without informed yes exactly informed knowledge and yeah. informed consent yes exactly public participation is not just something that should be done to tick a box but it has to be effective for it to be effective there has to be proper timely and accurate provision of information so that is what the pfma act speaks to uh probably i'll just speak about one more there's the public service values and principles act which operationalizes article 232 of, of the constitution it also provides that one of the principles of public uh service is that is the provision of transparent and timely uh information to the members of the public so this means in their day to day dealings with the um, members of the public each public officer should provide relevant public information in a in a timely manner also I just want to mention that each public institution under this act is required to develop guidelines for the provision to the public of of uh, timely and accurate information so that means each institution in Kenya as we speak is supposed to have a certain set of guidelines on how they're going to provide information to members of the public Now you. you've spoken about the principal um piece of legislation that governs access to information in Kenya and that is the Access to Information Act passed in 2016. That act um provides for the commission or rather establishes the office of the Commission on Administrative Justice also known as the Ombudsperson. And this is where you work. Could you tell us a little bit about this office and what role the CAJ if I can call it that in short please mm. in operationalizing access to information in Kenya? Thank you. Um just a small correction there. The act that establishes the Commission on Administrative Justice is the Commission on Administrative Justice, Justice act, act which was passed in 2011. And uh, this it draws from Article 59 of the Constitution. It was established at first to deal with all issues related to maladministration, basically promoting administrative justice in the public sector. This means that we deal as a commission with issues related to delays inefficiency discourtesy in 2016 the access to information act was passed and it gave us an additional mandate to oversight and enforce access to information in the public sector and in select private entities so that is where we come in now in terms of the role of caj under the access to information act one of the key roles is the review of decisions of public entities on access to information where if a person has gone to a public entity and requested for some information and the information has either been denied or has been provided in an edited manner or has been provided partially or the person has been charged a fee that is too high all these are provided uh, under section 14 of the act they can come to the commission for review of that decision the commission can actually also just investigate um issues around access to information suomoto that means no one has to motion. come to, yes of its own motion no one has to come to the caj for us to pick up any issue on access to information i think this is probably the appropriate point for me to mention that the decisions of the commission are also binding under the access to information act so the final uh, order that is issued by the commission which can be either that uh, the public institution or private institution should provide that information or even order the compensation to an individual that decision is final um the other role of caj is to educate the citizenry on access to information um this being a new law and a new area in kenya and um, most people are not aware of this right 
or even if they are aware of it, they do not know how to exercise this right. So this role or this function has been given to the commission so that they can teach the citizen or sensitize the citizens on their role and the part on this right and what they can do to access this right and to access the information in order to assist them on other rights, to access other rights. One other function that the commission has is uh, the function, obviously, of oversight. In this way, we receive reports from all public entities, and these reports have to indicate the number of requests for information that uh, the public entities have received in a year, whether they have given out this information, and if they have not or if they've denied that information, the reasons why they've denied that information. So the commission sits on oversight, and uh, we also monitor the state compliance with the international treaty obligations. As you're aware, Article 2.6 clearly states that uh, all the treaties that we have uh, ratified become part of, our laws. Are part of our laws. So we also monitor state uh, compliance with those obligations. So the Commission mm -hmm. on Administrative Justice plays four rules with regard to um, mm -hmm. access to information. Mm -hmm. The first, I'm going to try and structure them in a sort of sequence. Mm -hmm. The first rule is oversight. So mm -hmm. you receive reports from um, government institutions on the requests they've had for information, mm -hmm. um, how many they've had, how many they've replied to, mm -hmm. what were the reasons for rejecting those mm -hmm. um, requests for information. The second rule you have is a revisionary rule. Mm -hmm. So if an individual has made a request for information, Mm -hmm. And that request is um, denied. They have the right to appeal, so right. to speak, to you to review that decision. And you have you have the power to reverse that decision and compel the institution to produce that information for that individual. That's and right. this can be done either by the request of an individual or by your own motion as mm -hmm. a commission. You can mm -hmm. determine that certain information is within the realm of information that the public should have and mm -hmm. therefore request a certain institution to make that information public. Mm -hmm. Then you also have a supervisory rule, an m and &E rule, mm -hmm. where you look at the compliance of government on the international obligations it has on the treaties it has ratified, whether they are regional treaties or they are international treaties mm -hmm. that um, provide for the right of access to information. And finally, you have an educative rule. Yes. So you educate the public on this right to information, the mm -hmm. things that the information, the rights that the public can get um, the information that they can request for and the process that they would use to access that information. Yes, and in that role of education, we actually educate both the supply side and the demand side, as we call it. Uh, the demand side being obviously the citizens who are entitled to demand for this information. Yes. But also the supply side, which are the public entities and the relevant private entities who have a corresponding obligation to provide this information. What are the milestones of the Commission on Administrative Justice in enforcing this right to access information? Thank you. Um, one of the milestones that the Commission has had uh, is the development of a number of soft law publications. Because as I mentioned earlier, we don't yet have regulations to operationalize this act. So one of the soft law publications we have is uh, a handbook on best practices on access to information which uh, essentially is supposed to help public officers on uh, the, the implementation of the Act. Then we have also developed what we call a proactive disclosure guide. This is to help public institutions in uh, providing information proactively, as opposed to waiting for requests from the citizens. Then we've also partnered with the Media Council of Kenya and developed a handbook for journalists on access to information this uh, is to help them uh, access information in uh, 
in the line of their duty. For example, when they're doing investigative reports, ETC, this is the book to the go-to uh, publication. I mentioned earlier, we also developed a model law on access to information, which is supposed to guide the counties on the development of their county-specific access to information laws uh, as per the requirement of the County Government Act. Uh, we've also developed a monainchi or a simplified version of the Access to Information Act, which does not have uh, a lot of legalese, as it were, but it is easily understood by the monainchi so that they can also be sensitized on this right. Um, the other milestone we have is uh, we have reviewed currently over 600 decisions from uh, citizens and uh, the decisions by public entities or private entities. And uh, over 90% of them have uh, been positive in that the information has either been given or uh, even if it's been given in a redacted form, it's been to the satisfaction of the requester of that information. Or the other milestone is that we have partnered with Kenya School of Government and developed a curriculum on access to information, which uh, we have uh, rolled out, but uh, we will be launching very soon. Then uh, we have also trained public officers uh, across the public service such that they can be aware of their obligation to provide information to the citizens upon request. The commission has also issued uh, several circulars. Um, uh, the first one is uh, a circular on proactive disclosure, which we issue to the public entities, just guiding them on what they need to proactively disclose, or to need to proactively disclose, and how they need to do it. And then we also issued a circular um, during the COVID-19 pandemic, which uh, gave uh, guidance to the public institutions to provide information on the usage of public funds, which were allocated to COVID-19 during that period. Currently, and, and finally, the, the issue of operationalization of the act, the commission is in the process actually at the late stages of developing the regulations related to the Act, that those are the general regulations, and has also started in uh, consultation with the Chief Justice, the development of the regulations on the enforcement of access to information decisions by the Commission. In fact, the, this week was it was Access to Information Day, I mean, on um, yesterday, mm -hmm. on the 28th. Mm -hmm. This week, the Commission has been in Bungoma. What has the Commission been doing there? Thank you. The Commission has been in Bungoma County. Um, we have been commemorating the Access to Information Day, which was uh, 28th September. Uh, we engaged with the citizens, uh, just uh, telling them about what the Commission does, their right of access to information and their rights um, and our traditional mandate, which is the right to fair administrative action. Today, we are engaging with the civil society organizations just to equip them and empower them on their right of access to information and also to, to make them champions of Access to Information Act on the ground. Thank you. One last question with regard to what the Commission has done. Mm -hmm. Where can we access this model law, the guidelines and mm -hmm. the Mwanainchi version of access to information? Thank you. All these uh, documents or publications are available on our website. Uh, you can download them easily. We have also had copies which we disseminate in each forum that we are in. 
but uh, for ease of uh, access, you can just download it, download them from our website. And if I wanted to come to your physical offices, I felt mm. the need to present myself there to make my request. Mm -hmm. Where would we come? Um, we have currently six branch offices, but our head office is in Nairobi, West End Towers in Westlands. We are on second floor. You just indicate that you're coming to the office of the ombudsman. However, we have uh, branch offices in uh, Eldoret. We have branch offices in Mombasa, Isiolo, Nyaururu, um, Kisumu. And uh, most recently, uh, last week, we launched our Garissa office. Are there limitations to my right of access to information? We've spoken about it as being this broad-based right in which I can ask for any sort of information, correct it, mm -hmm. amend it, and you. And once you make a decision that I will have access to it, it is final. Mm -hmm. But are there limitations to this right? Is there certain categories of information that an individual cannot access? Certainly. There are several, and these are found in uh, Section 6 of the Act. The first one is um, the information that could interfere or impede national security. And the Act has uh, gone ahead and listed a raft of um, types of information that is limited under that, that uh, section. So issues of uh, military strategy, scientific inventions, cabinet deliberations, all these uh, intelligence reports, all this is not information that should that you can get when you request from government. Now what? <laughs> then um, the other uh, type of uh, information that is limited under the law is information that involves the unwarranted privacy of a person. So for example, I cannot just call and uh, request for information related to maybe your birth or marriage, you know, all those details that are couched in the constitution as uh, protecting the right of someone's privacy. So that is information that is limited. Then also there's information that is prejudicial to the commercial interests of an individual. For example, issues relating to intellectual property, you cannot now just request for information relating to the patents that you have as a company. That's not information that you can freely give out because that is information that will interfere with your commercial, commercial interests. Interest. Then there's also information that can impede the due process of the law or information that is still under consideration for investigation and there's no final report. So we've had quite a number of such requests, but uh, some institutions have gotten back to us and indicated that this is a process that is still underway. You wait, we'll give you the information when you're done with it investigations. So probably the final one I would speak on is uh, information relating to professional confidentiality. So these professions like advocate, client, doctor, patient, those are protected under this. So that's not information that you can get if it doesn't belong to you. I think that is important for me to state because we've had several um, requests for review of decisions by people who have requested hospitals for information to related to their um, sicknesses or health-related issues. And some of these hospitals have refused to give that information. But I'm happy that the courts have pronounced themselves on this and say that if it's information related to you yourself, you can actually access that information. In fact, I think I will ask a follow-up question on that. Mm -hmm. Um, you've spoken on information that is um, of a private or a confidential nature. Mm -hmm. As long as it's information, it is information that is related to me, mm -hmm. I should be able to access it. Mm -hmm. However, let me ask as a spouse, mm -hmm. because I know a lot of spouses, we are told we are one. Mm -hmm. Can I access the mm -hmm. information 
private information mm -hmm. related to my spouse mm -hmm. or my child. Mm -hmm. It may not be directly related to me, mm -hmm. but they are a person who has a very marginal um, degree of separation between mm -hmm. myself and them. Can I access that kind of information? Who can access what sorts of information? Um, for the spouse, um, no, unless the spouse has given their consent. Yeah, because, you know, in as much as you're saying you're one, um, you're two different individuals. Uh, so you you can access that information, but only if the spouse has consented to it. So, for example, if you request for information for um, medical information, for yeah, instance. medical information or even um, uh, information relating to uh, their call logs, for example, the institution has to reach out to the owner of the information that is the spouse for him or her to give consent to give that information to you. In terms of the children being the guardian, that is information you can access. However, we are in the process of developing regulations which would clearly give um, the step-by-step and what you would need to produce as a parent. Probably things like birth certificate or just uh, something uh, explaining your relationship with a child that would then uh, allow me to allow access. you to access this this information. And now that you've spoken mm -hmm. about guardianship, I think that those similar guidelines will also um, come into play if I was mm -hmm. to access information, for instance, of for an aged parent, mm -hmm. a parent who is unable to um, act on their own motion. Therefore, mm -hmm. I am accessing this information or making the request on their behalf. Yes. So they would have to give you the consent. And now these regulations would provide clearly what type of consent that you would need to bring to the institution, whether it's a power of attorney or whichever. But, you know, now we are still waiting for these re regulations to be published. So then that uh, we can then sensitize the public on that. Now that we're clear that the information that I have direct access to is one information that is meant to be in the public domain. Mm -hmm. So anything that government does mm -hmm. that really is not sensitive, mm -hmm. government should produce freely yes. as well as any institution mm -hmm. and any information that directly affects my rights, mm -hmm. my benefits, my privileges, I mm -hmm. can access. Yes. What is the process for me to access this information? Thank you, Jean. Um, number one, I think before I start on the process, it's important for me to say that each institution has uh, what is called an access to information officer. And the act is very clear that the access to information officer is the CEO of that institution. So this is the person who has the responsibility of providing this information. However, the act is also cognizant of the fact that uh, sometimes the CEOs are quite busy. So it also gives leeway for the CEO to delegate this role to a second person who can then do the day-to-day -day, uh, business of providing this information to the people. However, the sole responsibility lies with the CEO or the person with the principal administrative responsibility in that institution. Now, that being said, the process of uh, getting this information, number one, you have to write to the CEO of whatever institution requesting for this information. And the request has to be very clear on what you want. Remember, the act is very clear that you don't need to indicate a reason why you're asking for that information. We've had several institutions ask us, why does this person want this information? The act is clear. The reason does not have to be given. Or even if the person offers uh, an explanation as to why they want that information, that should not be a reason for denying that person that information. So when you put down this request in writing, the 
CEO then has 21 days to respond to you. There are some uh, citizens who have challenges uh, regarding uh, maybe writing down maybe due to illiteracy or disability. The CEO again has the responsibility of reducing this request, whether it's oral or in whichever way or in sign language, reducing it to writing so that it can be understood. Then now they also have to process this information within 21 days. Now, there are some instances where um, a request can come to an institution and the institution is aware that it's not that institution that has that information, but a different institution. So the act also obligates the CEO of the first institution to transfer this request to the relevant institution because we have um, people who are not aware, perhaps they may want some documentation on immigration from the Department of Immigration, but they erroneously go to maybe Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So the, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in such a case has an obligation to transfer that request to immigration, immigration. so that uh, the immigration can process. Now, 21 days sometimes can be too long. So you can need information that concerns your life or liberty. So that one, the act is also cognizant of this and uh, has limited the time to 48 hours. So in such a case, you can be given this information within 48 hours. One more question. Mm -hmm. I have made this request. Are there any fees associated with requests for information? Must I pay any fee and who would I pay that fee to? No, let me answer it in the sense that for submission of a request for information, you should not be charged any fees for submission of a request. It is free to request for information from whichever entity, whether public or private entity. However, at the point of being given that information, you can be charged, but this fee should only be limited to the cost of making actual copies, the actual cost of making copies of the documents, not anything over it. So sometimes also you can be charged a fee for supplying the information. For example, if you are in another country and you request that information from Kenya, you can be charged the fee for shipping that information to you if you need it in hard copy. However, um, the, the Act also provides that we should develop guidelines on the fees to be charged. Uh, we are yet to develop that and uh, we are hoping that uh, with this new dispensation that will be done as soon as possible. One final question. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes mm -hmm. disclosure has negative consequences. So there mm -hmm. are negative pieces of information that people have in their possession mm -hmm. that they may feel compelled to disclose. Mm -hmm. Let me give an example mm -hmm. of, and, and this could be government or it could even be the private sector. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, there mm -hmm. was a case mm -hmm. where IKEA, the furniture making company, mm -hmm. was um, charged in the United States of America for making furniture that did not meet the safety requirements and led to the death of some children. Mm -hmm. The company was fined mm -hmm. um, $50 million mm -hmm. because they were aware that their furniture did not meet the safety regulations, but they mm -hmm. continued to mass produce it. Now, should an employee of IKEA, for instance, have been aware of this information mm -hmm. and wanted to share it? Mm -hmm. Or in the case of Kenya, as we have with our scandals, David Munyake and his role as a whistleblower in Goldenberg or John Gidongo and Anglo Listing. What does the act say about whistleblowing in general? Thank you. Uh, the act under Section 16 uh, talks about the protection of persons making disclosures in the public interest. And the act is very clear that on what um, meets the threshold of uh, a public interest disclosure. 
So one of the parameters is that the disclosure should be on a violation of the law, which obviously includes human rights violations. Uh, it should be on mismanagement of funds, uh, conflict of interest, corruption-related cases, which in, in which case the Munyake and Gitongo um, situations, situations come, into, come play. into play, abuse of public office. Uh, dangers of public health, safety, and the environment, which are now the IKEA, the Ikea case, case comes would into come play. in. Now, the Act is very clear that no one should be um, punished in whatever form, either by being fired or uh, being uh, maybe their, their work being reduced or being frustrated at their workplaces for making these public interest disclosures. Now, the Act um, is uh, under Section 16 provides for protection of persons making any disclosure in the public interest. And the Act is very clear on what categories of uh, information uh, fall under this section. So for you to be considered to be making a disclosure in the public interest, that, this, uh, that information should be on violation of the law, which includes human rights violations, means management of funds, conflict of interest, corruption cases, which obviously now the Gidongo and uh, Munyake matter they come, uh, into play. come into play, abuse of public office, uh, dangers of public health, safety, and the environment, and that's where the IKEA, IKEA case, case comes come into, into play. play. Now, the section is very clear that no one should be penalized or punished for making such public interest disclosures. And we've had a few in the public domain where a number of people have... Um, have been seen to be punished for making disclosures. But uh, Section 16 is very clear that employers should, in fact, uh, not penalize these people, but should now work with these people so that these cases can be now brought to play. Because at the end of the day, we are all trying to help the government to, to run uh, in, a, in, a, in a proper manner and in a way that... Uh, funds are not mismanaged and such corruption cases are taken care of. And that is part of the reason that the Access to Information Act is there, so that uh, it helps uh, bring out issues relating to corruption. And uh, basically, like uh, it's it said in uh, other countries, they're called the sunshine laws. Everything is supposed to come out to light. So if there is any other action, action or, or omission that is happening, that should be brought to book and such people should ideally be celebrated and not be vilified for, uh, their, actions. for their actions. So it's so very clear, mm -hmm. as an employee, mm -hmm. one of the first things that you're given right next to your contract is mm -hmm. a non-disclosure agreement mm -hmm. that says that if anything in our processes were to come to your light, to mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. in, in while you work in mm -hmm. this institution, mm -hmm. you shall keep this matter private. Mm -hmm. My non-disclosure agreement mm -hmm. is trumped by Section 16 mm -hmm. of the Access yes, to Information it is, Act. It is trumped if something were to come into my knowledge mm -hmm. that is of public interest, that has um, an, an implication element. of on corruption, an implication on public health and safety, mm -hmm. then I have, or mismanagement of funds, mm -hmm. I have the protection of that section mm -hmm. in sharing it mm -hmm. under uh, that sunshine section of yes. the law. Yes. That brings us to the end of this episode. I'd like to thank my guest, Viola Ochola, the Director, Access to Information at the Commission on Administrative Justice. Thank you so much for joining us and your very insightful insights. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jane. It was my pleasure.
Thank you so much. I am your host, Jean Kambuni. We hope you found this episode informative. Tell us what you like about it on email. Our email address is info at gvalawfirm.com. You can also follow Gikera and Badgama Advocates on social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook as GVA Law Firm. Thank you for joining us on the GVA Legal Podcast. Thank you.